We're going to be in John chapter 10 today, so you can grab a Bible and open up to John chapter 10, which is about Jesus as the good shepherd. And I myself, I don't know much about shepherding. Any of you? Any shepherding experts out there? I don't know a ton about shepherding, but I did have an experience this week to go and visit a farm that had some sheep at it. And here's a little, here's a little video kind of capturing my experience with sheep this week. Okay. Hey, sheep, come here, bud. What's this one's name? We don't know. Sheep, come here. Hey, sheep, 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 sheep. He doesn't know my voice. Now, pause before we go to the next video. I did not know that I was going to be in a sheep pen, so I would not wear flip-flops to a sheep pen, to a farm, if I knew that I would be in a sheep pen. But this just happened. I was out there for a different reason, heard that they had sheep, and I was studying John 10, and I was like, I want to go see the sheep. And so that's me trying to get the sheep to come to me. You saw that it ran away from me. Now, this next video is Lisa, one of the people who works at the farm, drawing the sheep in. So clearly, you see a different response, right? To me, the sheep is running away. I didn't know its name. And then Lisa came over. She knew the name. She called Ellen in. Kevin was out in the field. This sheep is running away from me. I'm like, hey, sheep, come here, come here. And he's running. And Lisa comes. Come here, Ellen. Come here, Kevin. And they run. It's probably because of her beautiful voice. They just run right to her, right? They know her voice. They're comforted by her voice, and they come to her. And while most of us are clueless about sheep, the occupation of shepherding has a long and rich biblical history. The first book of the Bible records Joseph's brothers entering Egypt and asking, seeking refuge from Pharaoh and from the Egyptians from a great famine. We're told in Genesis chapter 47, verses 3 through 5. It says, Pharaoh said to Joseph's brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And with that, the shepherds of Israel moved into Egypt, seeking pastures for their flocks. Near the end of his life, their patriarch Jacob, also known as Israel, God met Jacob and and changed his name to Israel, the father of Israel the Jewish nation, and God's people. Near the end of his life, the patriarch Jacob referred to God in Genesis 48, 15, and he said, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, one of his parting words to his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, that God has been my shepherd all of my days. Near the end of the apostle John's life, God gave him a vision it's called the book of Revelation. He gave him a vision of what's to come, and we're told in Revelation chapter 7, 16 through 17, that we, the sheep of God's flock, will hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike us, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd, the lamb and the shepherd. Jesus is a unique person that we're dealing with. It says that the lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd and he will guide us to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. See, from Genesis to Revelation, the shepherd and sheep metaphor is used to describe the relationship between God and his people. None more well known than Psalm 23 and John 10. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want John 10, 11, Jesus' voice, I am the good shepherd. 
See, the biblical teaching is that God and God alone is the good shepherd. He promises to lead his people to green pastures and still waters, places of abundant life. But just as strong and consistent as the sheep-shepherd metaphor is throughout the scriptures, so is the reality that God's sheep tend to go their own way. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep have gone astray, each one have turned, everyone to his own way. See, sheep are fickle and distracted. They are weak and prone to wander. In addition to Israel's strain from God, their good shepherd, we're told by the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel that false shepherds stepped into God's place and harassed, abused, and neglected the sheep. Jeremiah tells us that, woe, he says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. And this is God's voice through the prophet Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and you have driven them away and you will not attend to them. And Ezekiel, the prophet, tells us on behalf of God, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Both of these passages, God confronts the false shepherds of Israel, but he also promises to remove the shepherds and to do the work that they failed to do. Ezekiel 34 goes on to tell us, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. I will feed them on the mountains. I will feed them with good pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep and I will make them lie down. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured. In Jeremiah, he says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Here's the point. Sheep need a shepherd. I don't know much about sheep, but as I was out at this farm this week talking with Lisa, she said, sheep will follow anyone. They follow blindly. As I talked with Nate Iser, one of our elders who grew up on a farm and, and raised sheep, he said, they are in fact dumb. They're vulnerable. They wander. Sheep need a shepherd. And it's with this backdrop, all that Old Testament, God confronting the shepherds of Israel and calling his people sheep, is with this backdrop that Jesus confronts the Pharisees in the New Testament, the abusive and unfaithful shepherds. Not only does Jesus confront the neglectful shepherding of the Pharisees in John chapter 10, but he reminds us there, that there is one good and true shepherd who perfectly loves and leads the flock and lays his life down for the sheep, and his name is Jesus. So this morning, I want to invite you to stand as I read John 10, 1 through 21. 
in context. We're moving from John chapter 9 into John chapter 10, and Jesus here is confronting the Pharisees. In fact, to get a little context, I'm going to start in John chapter 9, verse 40, and we'll go through chapter 10, verse 21. Some of the the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, if you remember in John chapter 9, Jesus had just healed a blind man, and the Pharisees are not happy about it. And so they said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say, we see your guilt remains. And Jesus' dialogue with the Pharisees continues. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, by the door, but climbs in by another way, the man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. Do you see that sheep running from me in that video? But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you would open up our eyes, that we would hear your voice, and that we would respond, that we would follow you into the green pastures and beside still waters. Oh, good shepherd, we need you. So meet us here, speak loudly, and help us to follow obediently. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. This is a pretty familiar passage in the concept of shepherd and sheep. The Lord is my shepherd is a common phrase to people, whether you've grown up in the church or not. It's in many songs, many movies. It it, it clouds much of our world. And this passage in particular, it it has a pretty simple structure. Verses 1 through 6 is a figure of speech meant to confront the Pharisees and to communicate that we are vulnerable sheep. And Jesus is the good shepherd. Look at verse 6. It says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them. 
So one through five, it's Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and he gives them this figure of speech or a metaphor to help the Pharisees, particularly who he's talking to here, understand that he is the shepherd and they are the sheep. And this is offensive. Think about all those Old Testament passages that I read to get us started about God's confronting and condemning the the wayward shepherds of Israel and then saying, I will step into that place. I will be their shepherd because their shepherd leaders have failed them. Jesus here, and, and these Pharisees, they know the Old Testament. They know these prophecies from Isaiah and Ezekiel. They know that King David wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. They know that David, their, their favorite king, wrote that. And in their minds, they, they know that they are unfaithful, neglectful, abusive shepherds like Ezekiel and Isaiah warned about. Jesus steps into this here and he uses this figure of speech to confront their wayward shepherding, their selfish shepherding, their feeding themselves, their beating their, the sheep, their abuse of the sheep. But he also communicates in this passage that he's the good shepherd who longs to draw us in. So verses one through six is that metaphor, that figure of speech. Verses seven through 10 is another metaphor that Jesus is the door. He says, truly, truly, in verse seven, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then verses 11 through 18 is another, another metaphor, the one that we're most familiar with, that Jesus is the good shepherd. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so we have Jesus giving a, a metaphor, a figure of speech to confront the Pharisees and to draw people in. We have Jesus using another, another metaphor saying, I am the door. Jesus using another metaphor, I am the good shepherd. And then we see the response, verses 19 through 21 is the Pharisees' response to this teaching. Again, here's the big idea. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. See, because sheep are, in fact, dumb. They are dependent. If it, if it seems offensive to say sheep are dumb, you could just say sheep are vulnerable. Here's some stuff that I've learned about sheep by talking with some shepherds. Sheep tend to wander. They tend to leave the flock and kind of wander off on their own and do their own thing. They fight with each other. They, they eat all of the grass, and then they don't leave to go find new green pastures. That's why they need a shepherd. Like Sheep will actually eat all of the grass in one given area, and when all the grass is gone and there's just dirt left, they just stand there wondering where the grass went. And there could be grass just within sight. They won't walk to a new field to eat grass. They will stand in the dirt and die of starvation unless a shepherd comes and leads them to the grass field right next to them. They're defenseless. Like many animals that God created, they have def defense mechanisms, right? The only defense mechanism that sheep have is to flock together. That's it. They can't defend themselves. Uh, I've been told by, by a shepherd that sheep will hang themselves in fences. Like they'll stick their head through a fence trying to get something on the other side and they can't get out and they'll get stuck in the fence and they will hang themselves to die. Sheep, they fall over and if they get on their back, they can't flip themselves over. Absolutely helpless, defenseless. They need a shepherd to come and flip them back onto their feet. They're filthy and stinky and mangy. And here's the biblical metaphor. 
You and I are sheep. You and I are sheep. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a dumb sheep. Go ahead, do it. Make some eye contact. You're a dumb sheep. Okay? And now look at your neighbor and say, and so am I. Okay, there we go. And the only way sheep survive and thrive, the only way sheep survive and thrive is to follow a good shepherd in a flock full of other dumb and dependent sheep. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a good shepherd. And now say, and so do I. So here's the good news. I want to spend this morning just beating up the reality that we are dumb sheep. But you need to come to grips with that. Like over and over and over again, through the, through the scriptures, the people of God are referred to as sheep, which means we're not that intelligent. Actually, Pastor Kyle, when he was doing his undergrad in biology, he, bisected, he dissected a sheep. See, bisected, sheep are dumb. He dissected a sheep brain, and it, they have no folds. It's just like blob. Like, you know, our intellect comes from all the folds and curves and contours in our brain. Sheep are dumb, verifiably. They're dumb. And we need to come to grips with this as people because sometimes we begin to think that we're much, right? We're smart. We have intellect. We have wisdom. We have power. We have ability. And God has gifted some people with some intellect. He has given some people some power. He has given some people ability. But even with all that, in light of who God is and in light of human history and nature, we're dumb. We use our intellect to beat other people up. We use our power to oppress and take advantage of others. Sure, we use it to build cities and find good water and create sewer systems. And underneath all that is oppression and power. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dependent. They have to be led to a green pasture and besides the waters. Sheep will follow a bad shepherd. That's part of what we see throughout the scriptures, and that's part of our own experience. Some of you have been hurt by following a bad shepherd. Some of you know people who have been extremely wounded by following a bad shepherd, whether it's a pastor, a politician, a parent, a coach, a teacher. All of us live in this reality where we need to be led. And so it matters who we're following. Jesus steps into the scene here in John chapter 10, and he's warning us and reminding us that who we follow matters. And we're all sheep, and we will follow somebody. If you think you're like an individual and you don't follow anybody, you're following yourself. Good luck. Sheep follow themselves. They'll wander. They fall off a cliff, and they die in the field. So if you're like the self-made type, you have that American individualism, I don't follow anyone, I may vote for that person or that person, or I may not even vote because I'm a rebel, like, good luck with that. You'll follow yourself right off a cliff. And if you're following the wrong shepherd, the bad shepherd, you'll also follow that shepherd and that flock off of a cliff. Or that shepherd, as Jesus tells us here in this passage, may let a wolf come in and ravage the flock. Or the shepherd just may, ne may neglect the sheep. He may not care about the sheep. And that's the, the picture that Jesus is giving us here. The good news for us is the character of Jesus. That as he comes and he confronts the, the world systems and the, the shepherding of human leaders, he confronts that, but he also draws us in and he invites us to follow him as the good shepherd. And so here's the good news of this text. It's that Jesus is the door and the shepherd. Two metaphors. He says in verse 7, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. And so Jesus gives us these two metaphors, the door and the shepherd, to help us know what it looks like to follow a good shepherd into a good flock, into the green pastures and beside still waters. And keep in mind, in Psalm 23, he does say that you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. So when Jesus says in verse 10 that he came to give life and give it abundantly, this doesn't mean that we are without trials that, that we have everything that we could ever want, but it says that he came to give us this character of life that can't be found in the false pastures and the false shepherds and the, and, and the water that dries up offered to us by this world. And so Jesus invites us in. Jesus is the door and the shepherd. He is the shepherd who knows us intimately. Look at verses three through five. To him, the gatekeeper opens. That's the, the shepherd, right? Verse 2, it says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. When I was in that sheep pen, I didn't know that Lisa hadn't come over yet and told us the name of the sheep. I didn't know the sheep's name. I'm in there walking it, walking around. It's running away from me. I didn't, I didn't know that sheep's name. That sheep didn't know my voice. It ran from me. And oftentimes that's where we find ourselves in the world. Like many shepherds, a myriad of shepherd voices. We get lost. We get confused. Sometimes we follow the wrong shepherd. Sometimes we run away from the right shepherd. And here Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own by name. He knows your name. Do you know his voice? And he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of the stranger. And so here's the reality. Sheep will follow false shepherds. They'll follow bad shepherds, but they only follow who they become familiar with. And so who are you familiarizing yourself with? Jesus, primarily, the good shepherd? Do you know his voice? When he speaks, do you recognize it? There's this intimacy here in this passage. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, there's this picture of intimate, connected relationship, face-to-face -face relationship. We looked at this passage as a staff this week at our staff meeting. Some of the words that came out were, you know, just like, what, what do you see here? What is the, the relationship between us as the sheep and Jesus as the shepherd? And this word intimacy came out. He knows us intimately. And related to that, the word familiarity and recognition. He is familiar with us. He knows what makes you tick, and he knows what ticks you off. He, he, he knows you deeply and intimately. He is familiar with your coming and your going. He's familiar with your struggles and your trials. Those times in life when you feel like nobody knows me, nobody gets me, I, I, Jesus knows you. Jesus gets you. He understands your temptations and your trials. He understands the, the moments when you are prone to wander, and we're all prone to wander. 
And like a good shepherd, like a, a shepherd knows the names of their sheep. And he knows the individual sheep, like Ellen in the pen that I was with this week. And Kevin, the other sheep, Ellen and Kevin, amazing sheep name. Lisa, like, knows. She's like, yeah, Ellen will come over for this thing. Kevin's going to stay over there in that part of the pasture for a little bit. But Kevin will do this. Like, if I do this, Kevin will respond that way. That's how Jesus knows us. He knows that some of you like the music at park, and he knows that others of you, eh. Sorry, Ben. Everybody loves it, right? He knows that some of you like the preaching at park, and some of you, eh. He knows that some of you love the community at park. Some of you are like, eh. He, he, he knows you, and he loves you. He knows how you work. He knows you intimately, church family. And so at Park, we're on a journey of trying to grow in intimacy with Jesus. Not purely information about Jesus. Information is good and it's fine, and you can't really have intimacy without some kind of information. But ultimately, it's experience, right? It's when information and experience collide. It's when we are known by Jesus, when we become vulnerable, when we embrace our vulnerability, when we're willing to admit that we are dumb and dependent, that our intimacy with Jesus, the good shepherd, grows. That we begin to hear his voice and we're reminded he hears our voice. He knows the hairs on our head or the lack thereof. He knows us deeply and intimately. Jesus is the shepherd who knows us intimately. Not only that, Jesus is the shepherd who protects us and provides for us. Actually, he's, here's kind of where the door metaphor comes in. So look at verse 7. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Right? In a, in, in a, in a sheep pen, there's gates. So sometimes sheep are let out into the pasture, right? To get green grass, to feed on grass, to just wander in the pasture, to go by still waters, and then other times they're brought into a pen to, to be kept and to just hang out and be still and give the shepherd a break. And so here Jesus is saying, I am the door of the sheep. Every sheep pen has a door that you enter through, and he's talked about this here in verses 1 through 5 already. There's a proper way to enter into the sheepfold. It's not to climb over the fence and attack the sheep. It's to open the door and enter in a proper way. But not only is Jesus the shepherd who enters through the door, he's also the door. And if you caught it in, in Revelation chapter 7, he's the lamb and the shepherd. How does that work? It works because Jesus is something that we are not. He is everything. He is, it. He is all of it. Like any metaphor, Jesus is that. That's who Jesus is. That's who we need. And here he's saying, I'm the door. Not only am I the shepherd, I'm also the door. Like some people will be like, ah, Jesus, silly. He can't even get his metaphors right. No, he's getting them just right. He's saying, I am everything. I am the door. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be safe and will go in and out and find pasture. And so the, the shepherd will open the door and close the door when it's time for the sheep to come in and time for the sheep to go out. Like at night, he'll get the sheep into the pen so that they're safe from predators. And he will, in fact, himself lay in front of the gate to protect the sheep from being ravaged by wolves at night. Jesus is saying, I am the one, the one who protects you. I lay in front of the gate to protect you. Wolves are after you. You are a vulnerable sheep 
Wolves are hungry to feed on sheep. I lay in front of the door. Not only do I lay in front of the door, I am the door. I am the thing that everything hinges on, and I'm here to protect you. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I'm in verse 10. And I came that they, the sheep, my sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. So not only does he protect us, but he also provides for us. He provides for us abundantly. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, abundantly more than all that we could ask or imagine. This doesn't mean that he gives us everything in life that we want. It means that he is leading us in such a way where we would flourish, where, where we would be eternally and forever satisfied, and not just eternity like after we die, right? Eternal life begins now for those who are in Jesus Christ. Yes, these mortal bodies are decaying and dying. That will happen. But eternal life for you started when you placed your faith in Jesus and he filled you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus became the good shepherd. You joined the flock. That's when eternal life began and an abundant life because you don't have to depend on the things of this world. Jesus says, I... I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. He lets us in and out of pasture. As Psalm 23 says, he leads us beside still waters. Jesus is the door who protects us, and he is the shepherd who comes in and out and provides for us. And Jesus is also the shepherd who cares for us. Verse 13 Uh, Verse 12 and 13, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep flee and and the wolves snatch them and scatters them. See, Jesus protects us. He's unlike a hired hand who runs. Verse 13 tells us that he cares for us. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's there for his paycheck. Some pastors, some podcasters, some authors, some politicians, some coaches, some teachers, some role models in your life may be there for a paycheck. They may be there for their own ego. They may be there for many different reasons. And I'm not telling you to be skeptical necessarily of pastors, authors, podcasters, politicians, teachers, friends, role models. But keep in mind, they're not the good shepherd. We all have mixed motives. Some of you have been deeply wounded by, by, by good shepherds who had some bad tendencies because who doesn't have mixed motives? And so the point of this is to, to, to point us to Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who's not a hired hand, the one, the one who his paycheck doesn't depend on your well-being and his sacrifice. Right? He says that these, these other shepherds, these false shepherds, they, they run when they see danger coming. Verse 13, they flee because they're a hired hand and they care nothing for the sheep. And what Jesus is saying there is that I care for you. I care. I don't run. I don't bail. I don't ditch when it gets hard, dark, or dangerous. Remember Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus goes into the valley of the shadow of death with us because he cares about us when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, the dark night of the soul. He cares for the sheep. 
Not only when you're in the green pasture or beside still water and everything is going well, he cares for you at your worst. He cares for you when you're being ravaged by wolves. He cares for you when you are being tempted and led astray by false shepherds. And he also cares for you when he is the good shepherd and he's leading you. And part of the journey involves a dark valley. Jesus cares and he doesn't abandon his beloved sheep. Just let that sink in. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And what Jesus is saying there is that I care for the sheep. I care for you. I know your name. I know your voice. I know you intimately and deeply. I've been protecting you and providing for you because I care about you. Not only does he care about us, but he also pursues us when we're straying and lost. Verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. There's this other passage in the Gospels where Jesus talks about leaving the 99 to find the one. So here's the reality of sheep. Sometimes we're in the flock, we're a part of the flock, Jesus is the good shepherd, but we stray. All sheep tend to stray. Maybe your strain is for a short season of time. Maybe your strain is for a long, stretched out period of time. And Jesus teaches us that he leaves the flock to go and find the one. But he doesn't leave the flock vulnerable, right? Like he doesn't just leave them out to pasture when there's wolves circling. He'll bring you into the pen. He'll say, okay, you're safe. I got to go find that stray sheep because they matter to me. And so Jesus pursues us when we're straying. That's good news for you, church family. But not only does he pursue us when we're straying, he also seeks the lost sheep who are without flock. And so sometimes as sheep, we need to keep in mind that the church isn't all about us, but it's actually in existence. This flock exists so that Jesus, the good shepherd, could also go out on a rescue mission to find sheep that have wandered away from their flocks and their false shepherds, and they're wandering vulnerable, lost, and alone, and he's inviting them into our flock, or his flock, the universal church. Amen? And so, we have our annual business meeting tonight, and we talk about, like, church business. Let's keep in mind, we're not in charge of the church, I might be shepherd, I'm an under-shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. This is his flock. And part of what Jesus does is he seeks those who are lost and strayed and hurting and wounded, and he draws them in. And he says, I want your flock, I want my flock to be hospitable and welcoming and open, and you're a bunch of dumb, dependent sheep who need a shepherd. So are they, so are you, and so let's all together be one following the good shepherd. He seeks us out, and then he goes on to say in verse 16 that he unifies, unifies us as one flock. Right? Like there's one flock, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So this is like the missionary heart of God going out as the good shepherd, looking for sheep to bring them into the church family, to the, to the sheep pen, to the flock, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. There's many expressions of this one, sh- one flock around the world. Right, like other churches in our communities. And sometimes in our religious 
mind, we're tempted to bash other churches or, you know, think that we do it right, they do it wrong, or maybe they do it right and we do it wrong, and if only we could be a little bit more like them, then our church would be better, our flock would be better, whatever. Like, that's just dumb. And sheep are dumb. And Jesus says here, I bring people in so that there would be one flock and one shepherd. Stop fighting sheep. Stop backbiting. Stop Stop bickering. One flock, one shepherd. Jesus is working to unify his flock completely. Now, this will never happen this side of eternity when he returns or calls us home. But sheep, we better start listening to the shepherd and hear his voice right here. Stop fighting with one another and stop throwing other Christians under the bus because they may think a little differently than us or they may do it a little bit differently than us. Like John started, right? John chapter 1, Jesus came full of grace and truth. So Jesus calls us in. He woos us in. He seeks us out. He unifies us completely. And then the last thing that we see in here is that he gave his life for ours. He's the good shepherd who gave his life for ours. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. That's a beautiful picture. Jesus says in the Gospels that he has authority to lay his life down and to pick it up. So so though he was crucified by by the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees, like claiming that he blasphemed, and then the Roman political power executing their authority to crucify a criminal, he says, they didn't take my life from me. I laid it down. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. You remember that scene when Jesus is on the cross and one of the criminals says, call down angels and save us. Can't you get yourself off of that cross? Yes, Jesus could have. Nobody had authority to kill Jesus. He's God. He could have silenced the the Roman army. He could have silenced the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees who were accusing him of blasphemy. He could have called down angels to rescue him and the two criminals off the cross. He says, no, I have authority to lay my life down. I'm the good shepherd. And you know what I'm doing? The sheep are being ravaged. The sheep are being hunted by wolves. The sheep are following false shepherds. The world is full of false shepherds. They come as priests and prophets and and politicians. And I am laying down my life for my sheep. And he says, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. This is who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And every week when we gather at Park Community Church, we remember that Jesus laid down his life for us. He gave his life in our place, on our behalf. 
as the true good shepherd who had no mixed motives other than, as he says in here, that they would be saved. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and they will go in and out and find pasture. And so Jesus welcomes us in, and this morning he invites us to the table yet again to be reminded that he gave up his life for us. Not only did he give up his life for us, but he took it up again. He resurrected from the dead to overcome sin and death and the grave and to make one flock under one father and to shepherd us well. And so this morning, I want to invite you to the table. If you are a sheep in the good shepherd's flock, come and eat the food that he provides and drink the cup that he offers for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that